You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. We're looking at Revelation. That's the last book of the Bible. I actually want to start in verse 18, but we're going to read it all. So uh, you could turn to verse 18, Revelation chapter 22, after you're done greeting your, your little buddies around your table. Hello, little buddy. Revelation twenty two eighteen says this. It's about... Now, I, you have to obviously realize that this verse is about the book of Revelation. I think it's just pretty cool that it's the last book of the entire Bible and that this verse composes the last set of verses of the entire Bible. It just happens to be really cool. It's almost like somebody planned it or something. Pretty cool. Anyways, it says this. Revelation twenty two eighteen says, I warn anyone who hears the words of this prophecy if, of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, so you hear it? So the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds something to the prophecies of this book, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Doesn't sound like a good day. And if anyone takes away words from this prophecy, the book, this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share of the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And those two verses really it gives importance to the words that are actually in the book of Revelation. And I'm going to say the book of the Bible. I think it's pretty cool that this verse comes at the end. And I won't make it the direct correlation. I'll just say it's cool. And then verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we, we ask you right now to open our hearts and minds Open them to you, Jesus, and your word. As we talk about the Bible, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your testimony being written down and that every single one of us can have and read a copy. We praise you for that, Jesus. We know the power of this book. We love you and we do praise you, Jesus. And everyone screamed. I used to live in Utah when I was in college, and some people ask me, like, were you Mormon? And I'll be like, no, I wasn't a Mormon. Uh, I, I, have, I always have nice things to say about Mormons. I think they're nice people. They're good people. Their family values are probably something that, that we could learn a little bit about. But there's, there's important differences about our faith as evangelical Christians and the Mormon faith. There's, there's distinct foundational differences. And I was in a class at Weber State University, in Ogden, Utah. I'm sure you've never heard of it. But um, I was in a, I was, my major was biology. And so I was in a chemistry class. And I was, uh, we were in this lab. It was like a 10-hour lab or something. It probably wasn't that long, but it felt long. And we all were hungry. It was like past lunchtime. And so I took everybody's Wendy's orders. And I was going to go get some snack attacks and burgers and stuff like that. And I got everybody's, <laughs> anyways. Um, and, and this girl so I'm leaving. This girl's like, can I go with you? And I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> and she, she comes out with, and we're getting into my car. And I know she, at this point, I know she's probably wanting to come with me because maybe she likes me a little bit. And she says, oh, nice car, really cool car. And I'm like, what? If you know me, you know that I have a 1990 Ford Escort, the same car that I got when I was 16. It's, it's not a sweet ride at all. And so we're in the car, we're going to Wendy's, and she's just like barraging me with questions. This is long before I was married, by the way. Um, uh, (laughs) And she's like, so what do you like to do for fun? What are you doing after class? Do you have a girlfriend? (laughs) And all these questions. And and then she says, what ward do you go to? And I said, what? She said, what ward do you go to? And I said, what? And she said, what ward do you go to? And having no context for what she was saying, she said, oh, are you not LDS, Latter-day Saints, Mormon, same thing. 
And I said, no, I'm not. I'm a Christian. She kind of took offense to that and said, oh, we're, we're Christians too. And I said, well, there, there's some differences. And we got into talking. I was talking about why I believe in the Bible. But, and with some of the things we've been talking about this month, prophecy, that it's the word of God because it's authentic. The, the authors uh, are in conjunction. All the things as a review of what we've been talking about. Some of those things. That it, and she said, well, I believe in the Bible too, but I also believe in the Book of Mormon. And I, I just happened to bring a copy today. Book of Mormon, the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And she was saying that, um, well, and we got in the conversation about the historical evidence of the Book of Mormon. And, and she, really, she really had to admit that there wasn't any historical evidence really whatsoever for the, 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 the things. But she said, but she said, but she said, but she said that no, no evidence has been found yet. And then she said, but if you read the Book of Mormon, you'll know it's true because you'll feel the burning of the bosom. And I said, what? And she said, burning of the bosom. And I said, what? And she said, burning of the bosom. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a very King. It's, it almost seems inappropriate to say actually, but it's a, it's a very Kings Jamesy old English way of saying you'll feel the power of this book. And, and I've actually read the book of Mormon and I didn't really feel the power of the book. Um, but, but as Christians, as believers in the Bible and as in the Bible alone as the word of God, we can also say that we, can, we feel the power when we read this book. We know it's true because we feel something from God. But as Christians, as evangelical Christians, we also know that the Bible has historical evidence. We also know that the authors are all in conjunction, all in alignment, even though they come from various places. We know that there's prophecies, like we talked about last week, that, that prophesy how Jesus is going to come, and they're amazingly fulfilled in the Bible. And so we as Christians have the, the feeling of the power as well as historical facts in the Bible. And so the Bible is really cool. It's better than the Book of Mormon. We're going to compare it today to the Quran, the Bhava Gita, the, the Book of Mormon. And the Bible's a lot better than that. But before we get into that, I have some announcements for you. Do you like announcements? All right. The first thing I want to announce is I want you to show by the raise of hand how many of you are going to the mill ball retreat pause Look around. Look around. See the hands. See, this is... And, and all of you should be going. There's actually two weekends this year. Um, and uh, you can... Aaron said on Friday that you could sign up for either weekend. If you're not sure, like, which weekend she's going to, you could, you could just sign up for the first one. But if she ends up going to the second weekend, you could just switch and be like, yeah, I decided to go this weekend because uh, just better weekend, you know. Um, so you can do that. Everyone, you need to go to Fall Retreat. And let me say this, that when it comes up, those two weekends, if you're like, oh, I'll just come to Mill Sunday School, no need to go to Fall Retreat. Can't do it. We are not having Mill Sundays. I'll be up there. I'll be in Winter Park. Uh, we're not doing Sunday School the two weekends that we're doing Fall Retreat. So I'm going to be at both. Any, is anybody thinking about going to both? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's awesome. All right. It's pretty cool to go to both. I actually have, uh, hang with me because I got a few more announcements for you. If you're newish to the Mill, Mill Sunday School, there's on your, on your crowded tables are little first-timer cards. And if you fill one of those out and give it to the nice people in the back, hi, Aaron. He's right there. He will give you a, a free CD just for coming to the Mill Sunday School. It's pretty cool. Um, so, get, so fill that out if you're newish. Um, and Sunday school, if, if you're newish, I just want to say that Sunday school is really about moving to the deep end of the pool. And, and foundationally, the things that are important to us um, 
as Christians, that's what we're going to talk about here in the Mill Sunday School, which leads me to my next point, that we are offering college credit for coming to the Mill Sunday School. Yes! And, I, and we've got it all worked out now, so here's how it works. On your tables are probably syllabuses. If you're correct, you would say syllabi. That's plural of syllabus. And on there, basically, here, I'm going to explain it very shortly. And I know that this will only apply to a few of you that will really want the King's College credit for coming to Sunday school. But in case somebody asks you, you will know what to say to them. So pay attention on how this works. We have busted up the whole year of Mill Sunday School, all the topics, into three quarters. Three, I guess they're not quarters if there's three of them. They're thirds. Three thirds. But we'll, we'll, we'll just call them quarters. And, and we've busted them up. And so this first quarter is about the Bible. And so if you've been coming to the Mill Sunday School, you know that we're talking about the Bible. Um, and then in November, we'll continue talking about the Bible. And if you come to all those Sunday schools, and if there's just a few other assignments. There's a book report, and there's a quiz. We'll call it a test. Uh, but that scares you, so we'll call it a quiz. And, uh, and, a, and a simple review sheet. And if you do those things, then you will get credit through King's College. It'll be permanently on your transcript forever and ever. You will have gotten credit through King's College and Seminary as taking this class. And so if you ever need recommendations or if you ever, like, have you been, have you taken a, a Bible class? Do you have any, you know, whatever. You have, it'll be permanently on your transcript for the rest of your life that you've taken a class with the Mill Sunday School through King's College and Seminary, and that's pretty cool to me. That's really cool. I, I, it's it's uh, my heart is that what we're doing in here is is important enough that and it's cool enough that we're going to get credit. It's authentic enough that we're going to get credit through a college um, through King's College for just what you're doing in here. I think that's awesome. Anybody else agree? Woo! All right. So if you're interested in that, there's a couple steps. Uh, you'll have to go out to the back, and in the back there is a very nice lady. Her name is a Kelly. Hi, Kelly. She, she's right there. She's really cool. You should talk to her sometime about the King's College. She knows everything. Um, we are waiving the application fee. And so pick up an application for the King's College. That's your first step. You'll fill this out, turn it in. Then you will become a King's College student. You will actually get, are you ready for this? This, this, this should perk you up a little bit. You'll get a, a King's College student ID. You could bring that to Chipotle. You could get free drinks. You could bring it to the theater. Get discounts on going to movies. It's pretty cool. <laughs> but you'll legitimately be a King's College student, and they're totally waiving the application fee. So you'll pay that. And then for, for basically the whole year is busted into three credit hours. And so if you sign up uh, for this class, this Bible course part, you will get one credit hour, and it's only, you're all thinking, well, how much is it going to cost? It's only $90, $90 per credit. And if you go to school, you know that that's dirt cheap, right? Yeah. And so so the cost is very little. It'll get you college credit. Um, and if you go the whole year, you'll get three college credits. It's a whole course, or and you can even do a few more assignments. It's a special option that they wanted to put in that you could double your credits, double your fun. And if you go through the whole year, it will be as if you took two college classes in the Bible and in Foundations of Christianity for coming to the Mill Sunday School. It's legit. Everyone say legit. Thank you very much. So if you're interested, as a review, go to the back, get a King's College and Seminary application. It'll take you a minute to fill it out. Maybe you might have to bring it home and fill it out, bring it back. You could bring it back right here to the Mill Sunday School. We'll give it to the correct people. Um, pick up a syllabus, review what you might have to do, and that's it. Everybody breathe in. 
breathe out. Okay, now we're, we're done with all the announcements and stuff, so we can get into today's lesson. In your notes, it says, last week gave me the blank. Do you know what that word is? Willies. <laughs> last week gave me the willies. You could put willies in that, in that space right there. Because we, t- we, we talked about how, how prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And they were amazing. If you, if you weren't here last week, you should probably get the podcast. I think it's, I think it's about to get up or already up. And it's, it's amazing how Old Testament prophecies uncannily filled in Jesus Christ as, as he walked the earth. It's amazing. We talked about the, all this month we've been talking about how the Bible... Well, the first day we, we came against the Bible and said, if, if someone doesn't believe in the Bible, here's what they might say. They might say, it's made up. And we said, no, historical evidence in the Bible, everything found in archaeology, let me say it this way, nothing found in archaeology has disproven anything in the Bible. It's, the Bible's not in the category of myth. The second thing people, someone that doesn't believe might say is they might say, oh, it's just full of con- contradictions. There's, there's just contradictions everywhere. And you might say, well, show me a contradiction. And they'll be like, well, uh, I heard that there's contradictions. Um, and we talked about how the authors of the Bible are amazingly in line with one another. And it's one book to us, although there's lots of little books inside of it. It's one full book to us all about God. And we'll talk about that more today. And the other thing that we that someone that doesn't believe in the Bible might say is, oh, they might just say, oh, it's a nice book. It's got some truth in it, but I don't believe that it's, you know, totally true. And to that we would say, well, it's either it's true or it's not true. Either Jesus Christ really is God, as the Bible says, or that's false. How could it be a nice book if it's full of tons of errors and and falsities about who God is? It's not just a nice book. It's either true or false. And we believe it's true, right? Huh, pretty good. Some people do. <laughs> I do too. Uh, and then last week we talked about prophecies of the Bible. Um, that's what gave me the willies. Just the amazing prophecies. If you weren't here, it was pretty cool how Jesus is predicted to come from, the Messiah is predicted to come from Bethlehem, from a virgin, from a virgin, from uh, this particular tribe of David, of the Jewish line, and we calculated the time in which the Messiah would come. It was pretty sweet. Do you agree if you were here last week? Yes. All right. Uh, so that that's all part of our view. Uh, I have three verses to show you, and I thought we would do something old school, something Sunday school-ish. Now, I was talking to this old lady. She wasn't that old, actually. She's like, oh, you mill kids are so fun. I love your mill Sunday school. I'm glad that you don't call it anything crazy, like all these kids are coming up with the verge, the edge, the empowerment, the fire with their youth groups. You guys just call it what it is, Sunday school. I love that. And I said, thank you very much, ma'am. And so... Uh, And so what we are going to do is a sword drill. Get your swords ready. (laughs) Some of you are like, I didn't go to Sunday school as a kid. What in the world? You'll soon find out what a sword drill is as you're left behind in the dust. Are your swords ready? 2 Timothy 3.16. Who's got it? Who's got it? You got it in the white. Stand up and read it for us. All right, listen, listen. It's the word of God. 316. 
That's good. All uh, your says your tra- my particular translation says all scriptures God breathed. Same thing as yours. Yours as inspired. A God breathed. That we use that verse in the first time. It was pretty cool. Are you ready? Are your swords ready for the second verse? Matthew five seventeen. Like what'd you do? Really? You already have it? She was like already there or something. All right, go ahead. You get to read it. That's that's the award. Yeah, so this is Jesus talking. I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets. And then verse 18, we talked about this. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is established. We talked about in the King James how it's every uh, yod or tittle. And everyone giggled at tittle because you're silly like that. It's not silly. It's the word of God. And Jesus says that... Jesus says that nothing, not even the smallest letter, will pass away until everything is fulfilled. The words that are in the books of the Bible are really important. And so uh, we talked about that last verse. Are your swords ready? Luke twenty four forty four. Really? Did you, you really have it? All right, you get to stand up and read it. Yep, 2444. Thank you. Excellent find. Did you hear that? That's Jesus talking. He says, everything must be fulfilled. And he refers to the law of Moses. That's the Torah. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He says, in the prophets. That's the writings of the prophets like uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, etc. And and the Psalms. There's things in those books that refer to the coming Messiah. And Jesus says, I fulfilled those. And so that should be, uh, if, you, if you haven't been here for a little bit, um, that should be a pretty good review of where we've been in the Mill Sunday School this month thus far. And today I really want to get into the canon, how we got the Bible, and clear up some misconceptions that you may have about how we got this book we call the Bible, which is actually 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament books. How, how did we get all these books and who compiled them? Where did it all come from? I want to start off by saying how we didn't, didn't, Get the Bible. And that's your, your second point on your notes. This is how we didn't get the Bible. How we didn't get the Bible. And the first way that we didn't get the Bible, that some pe- that's maybe a, potentially a misconception, is that it didn't come, it didn't fall out of the sky. And obviously you know that it didn't fall out of the sky. But but sometimes people think, oh, we just got the Bible through miraculous means that, that, this, that the book like maybe didn't literally fall out of the heavens, but God just kind of placed it on the earth and said, all right, figure it out. Figure out the Bible. Figure out how I work. The Bible didn't just fall from the sky. It came by, I'm gonna, I'll put it in quotations just because I like doing this. I'm not really sure what it means, but I like doing it. So it's somewhat normal means. The Bible comes to us through somewhat normal means. And what I mean by that is that regular people like you and me were inspired to write things down and it became the word of God. Sometimes I think Moses spoke, it says prosopon das prosopon in the Greek, in the Septuagint, face to face. Moses and God spoke face to face. And I think that that Moses probably knew that he was writing down something that was going to be 
legit for, for all of time, that God was telling him to write down the things in the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And I think there's different modes on which how different authors wrote, but it's God-inspired. It didn't fall out from the sky. It didn't land on the earth. It didn't, it didn't just appear one day. People actually wrote it. God actually inspired it. So that's how it, di- it didn't fall out of the sky. It didn't come from a council. And this might be confusing about where we get the Bible from. Because I, I, if you're writing down phrases, you, you might want to write this phrase down, that councils affirmed the books of the Bible. Councils affirmed the books of the Bible. Councils didn't get to just pick the books of the Bible. Councils didn't just get to sit down and say, okay, what a, all right, we got the, you know, the hot wings, we got the ranch, we got everything lined up. Let's have a little committee meeting. Let's talk about which books are going to be in the Bible. It, it didn't end up like that. It's more like councils affirmed the Bible. The Council of Nicaea, the Senate of Hippo, the Council of Trent. These are councils that met and said, yes, these books are the word of God. So it's as if the Bible, the Bible in history came to us. These books were already, already on the earth, already made known and already made holy, that the church recognized them as holy. And then the church would sit down and say, yeah, clearly these are the books of the Bible. Clearly these books are the standard, the rule. And that's what the word canon means. And they would, they would compile the, the, the now 66 books that are, that are in the Bible. And so that's a confusing point that, that, that just some council got to decide which books were in the Bible. And that's really not how it happened. It was that the Bible, the books of the Bible were categorized first by the church. And the church didn't get to pick either. It was like the church just recognized that these books were holy. And then a council got together and said, duh, these are the books of the Bible. These are the holy books. Let's compile a list. Let's write it down. And so um, that's often confusing to people. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So we didn't get it from the sky. We didn't get it from councils. We didn't get it from one religious leader, like let's say a pope. Um, or, or someone high and mighty in the, like a Billy Graham or something. We didn't get the, some Pope didn't get to sit down and say, uh, let's, let's use this book, but not this book. Let's, let's c- categorize these books. These books are holy and these books aren't. Because what if, I mean, what if the Bible did come through one person? What if like one Pope in history or something, one church leader got to decide the books of the Bible and then we find out later in history or something like that, we find his secret diaries and and find out that he chose those books for money or some other reason. Like, oh, he chose this book because this guy had it and he got paid a lot or something, just something random like that. That we didn't get the Bible from the sky. We didn't get the Bible from a council. We didn't get the Bible from one church leader and we didn't get the Bible from a ruler. And there's, there's a book that came out a little while ago. Um, I think it's been long enough now. It's called The Da Vinci Code. Anybody know this book? It's probably been long enough now that it's safe to admit this. But I liked the book. I don't know if I'm allowed to. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's, maybe it's too soon to say that. I just did, though. Um, I liked it for, I mean, I, I read it and I liked it for it's like, it's, it was, you know, they're just like, it's cool. It's like an adventure story. I was like, hey, it's so cool. And But I was wise enough to know that some of the garbage about how we got the Bible. Some of the things about Mary and Jesus and lots of the shenanigans like that were just false. It just plays into good fiction. And that's why I like the book. I didn't like it because it has lies in it. 
because that would be silly. But in this book, in the Da Vinci Code, uh, one of the points that Dr. Tiebling, one of these professors, Professor Tiebling, says is this long conversation between uh, Dr. Landon and Dr. Tiebling is that they get into where the Bible came from. And it's this whole narrative about how they think that the Bible came from Constantine. The Emperor Constantine got to decide the books of the Bible. The problem with that is that Constantine uh, lived in the 300s, and we have in the one, in the 200s, Origen, that's, uh, that's a guy in church history, using 27 of the 27 New Testament books. The Bible was established before Constantine was ever around. Um, we have in 160, in case you're wondering, the four Gospels clearly established as the Word of God. And so Constantine didn't just get to pick which books were in the Bible and get to pick some and exclude some other ones. It was established before. It's almost as if Constantine, he did set up the Council of Nicaea, and then the Council of Nicaea affirmed the books of the Bible. But they were already, the church already knew them as holy before they were written down as a list and affirmed. Does that make sense to everyone? So the, these are some of the ways how we didn't, did not get the Bible. And I want to compare, I want to, today I want to compare the Bible with other books of religions. And so that's your, that's your next point. Let's compare the Bible with books from other religions. That's that word that goes into that blank right there. If you like to fill in the blanks like I do, it's just kind of fun, you know, feel like you accomplished something. <laughs> but some of you may know something about other religious texts. Like I have up here the Book of Mormon. I have up here the Quran. I have up here the, the Bhava Gita. And these are all religious books from other religions. And I want you to, we, we, I think Sunday school is, is cool because we get to do a little bit of discussion. Um, it may be awkward right at first, but just jump right into it. And, and I want you to come up with a list. And maybe some of you, if you're at a table, or for instance, maybe one or two of you might really be able to respond to this. And so don't be afraid to just listen if other people know a lot. Um, and don't be afraid to respond if you know a lot. So the question is, the question is, how does the Bible differ from other religious texts? And you may or may not know details about one or other of these other religious texts, but I want you to think about that. Maybe compare, maybe put together a little list and, and say, how, does, how is the Bible different? Maybe in its message, maybe in how we got it, maybe in anything. How is the Bible different from other religious texts? Do you get it? Do you know what you're supposed to do? All right, take some time. And either compile a list by yourself or turn to your little buddies around your tables and chit-chat. Ready, get set, go.
some of you are probably deep into conversation, but try to finish up in the next uh, 60 seconds if you can. Let's uh, begin to wrap up your thoughts. I, I thought I think this might be a good time to announce that they're, we're currently working on uh, a partnership with a small group called Remade, and uh, how Remade, the small group, is going to be in line with the Mill Sunday School and tackle the same topics in the same way. And Remade is a small group by Ramil. Is he in here? There he is. In the world. <laughs> He's leading a small group at, at his house and he with a partner, and uh, they're going to tackle the same topics as Sunday school. More about that to come. But just know that if you're like, man, we never get to discuss enough in the Mill Sunday School, know that uh, there's a group that we're, that we're building and, and making. It's kind of like a, a sister or a partner group with Mill Sunday School. <gasps> Anyways, is anyone bold enough to stand up and, and kind of explain very quickly, because I want to get to a few, uh, just one point on how the Bible is different than other religious texts. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Or just one, though. The Bible's written by many authors. Yes, excellent point. That's actually one of the directions, I think, one of the most important directions uh, or d- things w- that differs the Bible from other religious texts. And I'll say that, uh, like the Quran, one dude, Muhammad, it all stands upon his authority. The Book of Mormon, one dude, Joseph Smith, uh, kind of all stands on his authority. Was he or was he not legit? What else? What's another big difference between the Bible and other religious texts? You got something for real? All right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, excellent point. He said that uh, other religious texts sometimes just seem to glorify a person or a deity or a, a, an individual rather than God, uh, the, the true deity of the world. And like the Bible, I mean, the, what's so weird about the Bible is that like Moses wrote a good chunk of the Bible, right? But we see in the Bible that he's a murderer, that he that he disobeys God in several instances. And what's amazing is that that is recorded in his own book. I mean, it goes to show there's that verse in the New Testament, and there's a band named after it, in fact. It says that we hold these treasures in jars of clay so that we might know that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That Moses wasn't... Uh, a sinless individual, but he sinned, and yet God still used him. And it's the message of God, not the message of Moses. And that's what makes it so amazing. Maybe one more comment, if someone's so bold. Yes, Mr. Brian. Hmm. 
Oh, I like that. Did you hear him? He said, uh, the, Bible's, the Bible is a religious text in which God reaches to humans, whereas many other religious texts, it's usually how individuals reach out to God. That's good. I like that. Um, what I want to get into is, is very quickly, just compare it with the three books that I have up here. Um, the first one is uh, the Book of Mormon. And the Book of Mormon, um, it, it really comes down to Joseph Smith. The, the story behind the Book of Mormon is that Joseph Smith uh, supposedly found golden plates in the ground that an angel showed him uh, golden plates, where to dig them up, and he dug them up, and supposedly these golden plates were left over from an ancient Jewish civilization that used to live here in the United States. And uh, the angel, it was like Egyptian-ish hieroglyphics, and the angel spoke to Joseph Smith on exactly what was on these plates and wrote down word for word in the English uh, in King James English, actually, it's kind of weird, um, the Book of Mormon. And so Joseph Smith, so it really hinges upon who Joseph Smith was because the whole book, the whole religion is a start off from this leader, Joseph Smith, that either did or did not actually find golden plates in the ground. And um, it really, the Bible doesn't come down to one person. Um, the Bible has many different authors, but it, the Book of Mormon only has that one. Um, and what's so weird about the Book of Mormon, and Mormons will usually tell, the, tell, tell you straight up that there is actually, um, so the book is written about the ancient Jewish tribes that were right here in the United States of America, like thousands of years ago. And, and Mormons will pretty, I've heard Mormons just pretty honestly say, yeah, we, there's not a shred of evidence right now for anything the ancient, I mean, because really you'd have to say, yeah, well before 1492 when, Osh, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, that Jewish people leaving from Israel sailed through the Mediterranean, through uh, the sea, and, and landed in America and started a civilization. That's just not in most history books. Um, <laughs> and most Mormons will share with you, they're, 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 I, they realize there's not a shred of evidence that a Jewish tribe actually lived in the United States of America back in the day, but they'll say, well, that no archaeological evidence has been found yet, is what they'll say. I'm like, dude, we've kind of dug up a lot of stuff, and we haven't found anything yet. Anyways, so it really comes down to this dude, Joseph Smith. Now, you might, if you, if you know a little bit about the Mormon faith, you might know that right in the beginning of every book of Mormon is a testimony of the three witnesses and a testimony of the eight witnesses. And these people supposedly saw the golden plates too. The first three um, were people that saw the golden plates, but they didn't just get to like go into Joseph Smith's house and like look at the golden plates and hold them. They're like, wow, these things are sweet. We should take some pictures. Instead, Joseph Smith took them out into the woods and they saw a vision of the golden plates. So it's not like they actually got to see them and touch them and hold them and stuff. It was they saw a vision in the woods of the golden plates. And out of the three witnesses that signed this piece of paper that said that they had seen the plates, um, one of them uh, also heard, like soon after he saw the plates and signed this, um, one of them heard from God to break from the LDS church. And, and then he was, of course, excommunicated. The other two were then excommunicated over issues of leadership. And um, polygamy was a pretty big issue. Joseph Smith said polygamy, it's all good. And these guys said that's kind of weird. And they, they got excommunicated. And so out of the three witnesses, um, 
all three of them either got excommunicated or eventually said, yeah, I'm going to break from the, God told me that that religion is not true. And one of them even said that, yeah, we, we didn't actually see the plates. We just signed it because Joseph Smith told us to. He said that to another guy. Um, and then there's the testimony of the eight witnesses. And they're all of their eight names here. All of them excommunicated for various reasons from the church. And so here's the founding fathers of this religion that, that supposedly saw the plates. And they were all excommunicated for various reasons reasons, the polygamy issue, the, the leadership issue. They didn't like Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith didn't like them after a while. And they broke from the church and were then excommunicated. So it really comes down to who is Joseph Smith? Did he perform miracles like some of the writers of the Bible? Did he, was he a prophet of God or was he more like a fortune teller? And if you look at his life, honestly, I look at his life. I've, I've looked at some of his biographies and seen that his life was really much more like a fortune teller you know, hippie kind of lifestyle than a prophet of God. And um, so the Book of Mormon, it's very different than the Bible because it all hinges upon Joseph Smith, whereas the Book of the Bible hinges on at least 40 different authors. Um, let's talk about the Quran for a minute because this is, is very, very similar in that it hinges on a guy that lived in the 500 ADs called, named Muhammad. And I, I came to a realization last year when I was, or actually just this last summer when I was in Uganda on the Mill Mission Africa trip. Anybody there? Woo, woo, woo. Um, me and Evan were in Uganda. We, we were getting onto Ethiopian Airlines. We had a ticket in our hand. It was like an e-ticket. So it was like a print-off. It said e-ticket confirmation. And we like, we're like checking in and they're like, where's your ticket? And we're like, e-ticket confirmation. Here you go. And they're like, this isn't a ticket. And we're like, it says e-ticket confirmation. And they're like, no, it's not been confirmed. It's not a ticket. And we're like, so what are you telling us? <laughs> they're like, well, your credit card was never charged and you don't actually have a ticket. And we're like, we're holding a piece of paper that says e-ticket confirmation. And we're both getting like, we got to get on this plane. We got to hit, we were going from Uganda to Egypt. And we're like, we got to see this team or else if we miss a day, we're not going to have enough time. And people are like, well, you can get on the next flight. It leaves tomorrow morning. And we're like, what? We can't just leave. We can't go back to the hotel and just waste time. we got to get to this other team. we got to meet with this other team. we got things to do. This mission trip is a short-term, two-week trip. We can't be wasting time. And the guy's like, yeah, there's nothing we can do. And we're like, well, can't we just buy a ticket? We, I mean, we had cash. We're just loaded, you know. Um, no big deal. And we're like, well, can't we just pay cash and get on this plane? And they're like, no, it's a national holiday and our... Our tellers aren't open or something. We're like, what? And we're both getting pretty upset. I was getting excited, actually, because I thought Evan was going to cuss. And I was like, oh, man, he's going to cuss. <laughs> but he never cussed, and so I was kind of let down by that. He's, he's a better man than I. Um, and, so, and so finally, they're just like, yeah, you need to leave. You can't get on this plane. You're going to have to come back tomorrow. And we're just like, oh, my gosh. And the plane left. It was past time. The plane had left. And so we get in. We're just like... Man, we got we got a and it was we were gonna go back to the hotel, eat something, and like sleep for like four hours or something ridiculous, and come right back. It was pretty pretty silly, and we were just like broken, like dang it, we were just depressed, kind of down. And we get into this taxi to go all the way back to our hotel, and it's a it's a it's a Muslim guy, and we just there's that verse that says, "When you're weak, he is strong," and me and Evan just started tag teaming this guy. We were like, so, you know, are you, are you religious? And he said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Muslim. And I was like, we were both on the same wa- wavelength because I was like, well, do you pray five times a day? And he's like, no, I, I pray sometimes, but I'm driving taxis. And so I don't, I have people I'm giving a taxi ride to, so I can't get out and pray right there. And then Evan's like, 
tag team. And he's like, well, if, if you don't pray, then isn't Allah going to be mad at you? How do you find redemption through that? And he's like, tag me. And I'm like, well, if you don't have redemption, doesn't it depend on Allah and his, and his grace for you? And Evan's like, tag team. He's like, and they're like, well, doesn't Allah need to be, is, is Allah a nice God? And the guy's like, no, Allah's a judgmental God. And it's like, tag me. And then I'm like, we're just like tag team in this guy. And, and what I realized is it really comes down, their belief system really comes down to the Quran just like our faith really comes down to the Bible. And I, I just made this realization that, that it really comes down to the Quran. Therefore, it really comes down to who Muhammad is. And it's all, I mean, this whole book is dependent upon, did Muhammad really receive these words from God? Because supposedly he claims, Muhammad claims that the words of the Quran are the words of angel Gabriel being spoken to his ear, and then he recited these words. And in fact, if you're ever on Jeopardy, and they're like, what does Jeopardy mean? The answer is, what is he recited? And that's what, that's, that's what the word Quran means. It's a verb meaning he recited. And uh, it could be translated that way at least. And, or he said, or whatever. And it's, it's the recitings of Muhammad, and he's speaking these words, and scribes are writing down this big book called the Quran. And it's the faith, it's the Muslims get, have this book as their religious text. And so that whole thing, the whole conversation really depended upon who was Muhammad. Did Muhammad work miracles? Not that I know of. Was Muhammad uh, a really good guy? Or was he more of like kind of a soldier, kind of a, someone that would make up stuff? Well, I don't know. He's kind of a soldier, make up stuff kind of guy. Um, jihad kind of thing. Um, what did he, did he, like, did he work miracles? No. Did he, is, is this in line with anything other religious texts? Well, it's kind of in line with the Bible, but not really because it says some different things. So who gives Muhammad the authority to, to write that down and say, yeah, the words that I'm speaking are from the angel Gabriel. And what if he was mistaken? What if he was wrong? The Bible is very different than those two religious texts, the Quran and the Book of Mormon. And it's even even more different, in my opinion, than this book, the Hindu book, uh, the, the Bhagavad Gita, is, is really just divine poetry. And it talks about a war in this book. And just to give you an idea, like the Bible, like we could trace things down and, and, and label them and usually have things within like a couple hundred years, maybe of like, well, the fall of Jerusalem happened this year. And, we, and we're like, well, maybe it happened this year, which is like one year later. But we're pretty sure it happened this year. Um, the Bhagavad Gita talks about a war that could have happened between the years, uh, let's see, could have happened between 5,000 5, 561 BC, or it could have happened around 800 BC. And so if, if you're quick with math, you know that there's about 4,700 years that, that war could have or could have not happened. And uh, it's a mythological book, just taking it for what it is. It's, it's a mythological book that's, that's divine poetry. It's very different than the Bible. It doesn't have historical records. Neither does uh, the Quran ha- claim to be historically accurate. It's, it's claimed to be more divine poetry, as well as the Bhagavad Gita, more just divine poetry. And uh, the Book of Mormon, of course, there's really nothing historical about it that, that we don't think Jewish people lived here ever, or there's any shred of evidence that that happened. Uh, besides this book. And so we come to the Bible and say, how did we get the Bible? And that's the, that's the last point on your, on your notes. This is how we did get the Bible. Last point, the Bible is very different than other religious texts. It did not come, as I said, it did not come from the sky, this ancient mythological uh, 
person, Prometheus, have you heard of him in, in Greek mythology, goes up Mount Olympus and steals fire from the gods and brings it back down. We didn't get the Bible like that. No one like ran up to heaven and got this book and brought it back down. But instead, God inspired people here on the earth to write this book. God breathed into them and wrote this book. And let me read something that I read the very first uh, Sunday school, Sunday of this month. And it's that we know that at least 40 authors wrote the Bible, 40 plus authors. Some of the Psalms, we don't know who wrote them. Some of the Proverbs could have been other people. And so there's at least 40. We can name 40 authors of the Bible. And it says this, imagine questioning 40 people from every social economic background, ranging from extreme poverty to immense wealth in every walk of life kings, paupers, statesmen, fishermen, poets, and physicians on three separate continents, Asia, Africa, Europe, uh, speaking three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and taking all kinds of different forms, poetry, history, civil, criminal law, ethics, parables, biography, prophecy, and personal correspondence. So you have all these different types, all these different people, the time period between like when the first book, we think Genesis or Job could have been the first book written, um, uh, maybe 1,000, 2,000 B.C., all the way up to, I think, Revelation could be the last book of the Bible written around 90 or 80, maybe 60 A.D., somewhere in there. That whole range of, of when the Bible came from, all those different peoples and all those different walks of life, you say, okay, these 40 people, you write about God. You write about, you know, truth and, and be a prophet. Prophesy what God, you know, what you think God would say. And they all write, you know what you'd get? You get 40 different answers about who God is, the prophecies that they think God is saying. But instead, what we get in this book, these, these 66 books of the Bible, is one continuous, authentic message of God's redemption for his people on this earth. And I think that just goes to say that this book is so different than these other books that are just... Uh, one author saying what they think about God or saying, yeah, I received a vision from Gabriel or I received a vision from the angel Moroni. Well, how do you know? Like, prove it. Some of the Bible, uh, let, me give, let me give you this. I think we're going to put up a, um, a slide here that, that says all scripture is, and uh, all, all scripture is written by a spokesman of God. That's point number one. It'll come in a second. Just give them a second. There, there's going to be four points. All scripture is, number one, written by a spokesman of God. And what I mean by that is, is think about like the prophet Moses, uh, the apostle Paul, eyewitnesses to Jesus, people that spoke with authority on religious matters and people around them knew that. Number two is that all, all scripture is written by a confirmed, uh, that, that the writer, excuse me, was confirmed by the acts of God. Writer confirmed by acts of God. I mean, think about Moses and his history, even outside of the Bible and what he did. It talks about pray, him praying for the Red Sea to be split open, and God did that. Um, Peter, Paul, John, miracle workers. Um, even even outside of the Bible, there's, there's examples of them doing miracles, uh, healings. Uh, praying over people, watching people raised from the dead, other miracles like that. So all scripture is written by a spokesman of God, writer confirmed, and uh, it's, it's truth without contradiction. Number three is truth without contradiction. And that's that main point that I just gave you, that, that the Bible has been written by 40 different authors, 40 different places, 40 different walks of life, and yet it's one continuous message without contradiction. One writer's not saying, yeah, God's like this four-headed blue cow and they're, 
and it, he's really mean. And the other one's like, and the other one says, "No, God is a golden Buddha, and he's nice and pretty." Um, no, God, God is God, and the redemption of souls and the truth that's in the Bible, it's given to us without contradiction. That's huge. And and the fourth one is that that it is a living word of God. It is the living word of God. And I, what I want to say is that. Um, that there is power in the Bible, and I think you could probably attest to that. And that, that I wouldn't, you know, we as as Christians, we have the Bible, which is both historically accurate, having prophecies and and truth, and having manuscripts that it, it says the same thing. And we also have this feeling when we read it, compared to the say the Book of Mormon, that you know all that girl said was, you know, I know that there's no historical evidence, but if you read it, you'll feel the burning of the bosom. Um, that you'll feel the power of God when you read that. Well. I also believe that you could feel the power of God when you read the Bible so much more because it's actually true. But um, but other than that, uh, we we also as Christians have historical evidences. We have um, that the Bible writers were in conjunction with each other. It doesn't just depend on one man that, that didn't work miracles or spokesman of God. But it comes it comes to us from other authors, and so we can say as Christians that legitimately you can hand the book of the Bible to someone and say, yeah, read, read the Bible and, and see if you feel the power of God as you read it. And in fact, next week, um, Noelle Goodland, do you know her? Uh, she's the women's pastor of the mill. She, we, we chose her to come and talk to us about why the Bible is the word of God from the perspective, not of history or the canon or how we did, did get the Bible or compare it to other religions. But we asked her to come and speak about the Bible as as feeling the power of God as we read this powerful book. And there's something legitimate to say about, you know, handing someone a Bible and saying, you know, read the book of John and, and see if you just don't believe that it's true because it's the message of Jesus. And Jesus is historically a historical figure and we could trace him through history. But just read it and, and know that it's true and feel that it's true. I want to end with a, with a story um, that, that I found. I think it's pretty cool. It, sa- it says this. It says, Many years ago in a Moscow theater, a matinee actor named Alexander Rostoviz was converted while playing the role of Jesus in a mocking satire play called Jesus in a Tuxedo. Can't imagine watching that. It'd be a little weird. But he was supposed to read two verses from the Sermon on the Mound, remove his gown, and cry out, Give me my tuxedo and top hat. And then like a little song and dance, uh, just ridiculous, obviously very mocking. But that night, seriousness enveloped the audience as he read the words. He read these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, that they shall be comforted. And he began to tremble, and instead of following the script, he kept reading from Matthew chapter 5. And he ignored the coughs, the calls, the foot stamping of his fellow actors. And finally, he recalled a verse that he had learned in his childhood in a Russian Orthodox church. He cried out, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And that's the verse that, that the thief on the cross said to Jesus. And the story says that, that before the curtain could be lower, Alexander Rostovitz trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And I find that, that and I'm sure you've felt this before, if you've, you've spent time in the Word, that that it speaks to us. It's legit. That there's something that it's not just black words on white paper like a textbook. This is something so different. It's it's truth 
being poured out directly into our hearts as we read the words of Scripture. So would you pray with me right now as we, as we consider that? Father, we do love you. We praise you right now for, for your word, the Bible that you've given to us. God, we thank you so much that, that it's true, that we can know that who you are, we can know your salvation message for us by reading this text and by memorizing this text, by pouring into it, by studying it. And we thank you so much for our God. It's, it's not very often that we, we just, sometimes I guess we just take the Bible for granted. But we do thank you for this word. We thank you that it's, it's all over this room. We thank you that we could pick it up, that we could read it whenever we want and come to a truer knowledge and understanding of who you are and how redemption has been, been given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. So God, we praise you and we thank you. And everybody screamed. Amen.